0: Would you open your Bibles with me to the book of Psalms, Psalm 84? Psalm 84 is our text for this morning's sermon. Psalm 84. Hear the Word of God, which is eternally true. For the choir director, On the Giddeth, a psalm of the sons of Korah. How lovely are your dwelling places, O Lord of hosts. My soul longed and even yearned for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. The bird also has found a house and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. How blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Selah. How blessed is the man whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. Passing through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The early rain also covers it with blessings. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. Behold our shield, O God, and look upon the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, how blessed is the man who trusts in you. This is the Word of God and it is eternally true. This is a psalm of pilgrimage. A psalm for the journey to the temple of God. Now, you know in the Old Testament, in the prophets that often Israel is faulted for not worshiping God where they are commanded to worship Him, but rather going to other places. Sometimes these places are referred to as the high places. Uh, You know that when Jesus had that scene with the Samaritan woman at the well, that when she wanted to turn the attention off herself, she turned her attention to the issue of what was the proper place to worship. And this was a real argument. The Samaritans were sort of uh, mongrelized Jews. They had intermarried with other peoples. And, and so they were very proud of having their own place of worship and not having to go to Jerusalem. And so what you see in Scripture is that in the Old Testament, God is very specific in His command saying what? Saying that we are to worship God where? In Jerusalem. And not just anywhere in Jerusalem, but actually in the temple. Now, did everybody submit to this? No, people felt that they ought to be able to worship God where they wanted to. And so often they would set up an altar or they would set up a high place near their home so that they could bring some of the holiness and some of the the cult, some of the religion to their home area. And this would make their home area a a place of greater pride. But the godly people did what? The godly people went on pilgrimage. And they made the journey. It was inconvenient. You know, why can't we have our own temple? Why can't we worship where we want to? This is our home. Let's have a temple here. Well, no, the godly people went on pilgrimage. And when they went on pilgrimage, it was exciting because they were going to the center of worship. They were going not to the palace of the king, but to the palace of God. And this was a time of great excitement and anticipation and hope. Now, as I was preparing to preach to you on this, I was thinking to myself, well, this is kind of a hopeless endeavor because there's absolutely nothing analogous to our lives today. When do we ever look forward to making a pilgrimage to the place where we worship?" You know, if our cars are characterized by anything on the way to worship on Sunday morning, it's typically fighting over how late the the father or the mother made everybody or who doesn't have the proper shoes or who forgot their Bible or something like that. I wouldn't say that our cars generally are characterized by joy on the way to worship. And probably part of the reason for that is that we can get to worship so quickly. Now, why do I say that? Well... Um, I'm, I'm sure that having a long commute is, for many people, a very obnoxious thing. But there is one good thing about having a long commute, and that is it gives you time to settle down from what just happened. And by the time you get home, if you're driving from Chicago the whole way out to the western suburbs or riding on the train, you have enough time that you can forget about the past and begin to anticipate the future. Whereas when I come home, I walk from my bedroom down to my living room. And that's not quite enough time. My wife is laughing harder than any of you. (laughs) Now, it is true that sometimes I work at the church office, but even that's not enough time. It's what, six minutes, seven minutes? And so there are some negatives about having the temple so close to our homes. And I refer to this place as the temple. Namely, you don't have enough time to forget what irritated you before you set off and time to begin to anticipate what's coming. But they would have days. And you can imagine that maybe the first couple of hours, things, little catty comments going between them about who forgot what and whether they should go back or not, you know. Think of vacations. But then after a while, the journey becomes important. You begin to anticipate where you're going. Now, where does that happen in connection with God in our lives? Does that happen, for instance, in the final two to three years of an old person's life? They're about to enter into the presence of God. Can you see them anticipating it? and Can you see their faces becoming radiant as they prepare to enter heaven? No, that's not really what it's talking about here, is it? Although you can make application to that. It's talking about an actual pilgrimage. If you ever drive out in the country, you'll see these little shacks someplace, little groves of trees where typically Wesleyans used to have revivals. They used to have summer camps that were entirely religious, and you'll see mature trees and usually either dilapidated or obviously not used anymore. Little white buildings. You know what I'm talking about. And so, even in this century, well, look, you'll see them. Even in this century, we have had this habit of going someplace out on the west coast. Uh, there were uh, there were there were camps, and there still are camps like that where they have speakers. Um, Some of our students who have been here have worked at summer camps like that on the East Coast. Um, But I doubt if there's one person here who has actually gone to uh, the equivalent of of summer uh, worship and fellowship camps this year, where for a week the family would set time aside to devote themselves to the worship of God. Maybe there is somebody, but I doubt it. So what do we do? Well, (laughs) given as how I'm who I am, I'll tell you what we do. You know what we do. Yesterday, I spent a number of hours right here at the field. I was getting my volunteer time in. There was something called a hacker's tournament put on by the Bloomington uh, Soccer Club. And it's games on a miniature soccer field, three on three. And there were little kids that weren't yet five years old. And there were adults who were significantly older than I am. And of course, they were age segregated. You didn't have me fighting. And it was interesting to work there. But what I particularly noted was that surrounding the perimeter of the whole thing, there were something like 135, 140 teams. All right. Surrounding the whole perimeter of the park were what? tents. They all had tents. There were tents everywhere. Now, you know, not tents that you take backpacking. These were tents that were four poles. You buy them at Sam's or Walmart or something, and they have a thing over the top, and boy, you needed them yesterday. And then, there weren't just tents. What else was there? Well, there were these uh, like uh, um, traveling coolers. You know, big, heavy things filled with food and ice and, and liquid that you lift up a handle and, 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 and you, you drag them behind you. Alright, so there was food. And what what else was there? Well, there were grills. And there were lots of chairs. And there were blankets. And there were babies. And there were cribs. And there were strollers. And there were radios. And there... Everything you could possibly want for a pilgrimage. And what do we have pilgrimages for today? Oh, come on. Am I the only one that's supposed to be dumb? (laughs) Thank you, Woody. (laughs) Come on, you guys. You all know what tailgating parties are, right? Where does America make her pilgrimages? To her gods. Alright, now I'm beginning to meddle, right? Come on, admit it. Sports is the center of the cult of America. Am I right am I wrong? Who are our gods? Michael Jordan. Any idiot knows this. Only smart people who have been educated don't know it. Michael Jordan was called divine frequently in articles. Where else do we have pilgrimages today? Well, there are other places, aren't there? But I would say that the one place, almost certainly, we don't have... You know, you have pilgrimages to rock and roll concerts, right? I mean, I used to go. I remember what they're like. You don't take food there. You take drugs. But it's the same thing. And... The gods stand on the stage and they have smoke coming out from behind them and it tells you that they came down from the heavens. And this is what Sandy Patty did at a concert I went to. Okay, where else do we make pilgrimages? Should I keep going or should I stop? Where? Theme parks, that's right. Absolutely. You look at the amount of money that is spent on going to Disneyland, and it is absolutely mind-boggling, isn't it? There's a whole housing industry in Orlando, and you make your pilgrimage, and every child by right ought to receive one trip to Disney World before they mature, and it requires the mortgaging of a number of years of vacations for most families to get there. Now, I could keep going, but what I want to illustrate is that the spirit of pilgrimage is not absent from our hearts. Is it? No. We take pilgrimages, but we don't take them where we should take them because we're allowing our culture to determine what our idols are instead of devoting ourselves to the Lord and having our hearts cry out for God and for the place of the assembling of His people. So, for instance, if I were to ask you this morning, not if you made a pilgrimage here, but if I were to ask you where your heart is this morning, Is your heart here? And many of you, it isn't. Many of you, your heart is not here, but you're here because your wife or your husband made you come, or your parents, or your children. A lot of us come to church. Why? Because it would be embarrassing in front of our children if we actually showed them how much we don't want to be in church. Okay? Now, is this true of what the writer of this this psalm said? No. The whole psalm is focused on delight in the house of God. As I was preparing um, on, this, on this text, I remembered... Um, Gene <laughs> knows I'm honing in. I was remembering being in Gene and Lois' house two weeks ago. Gene had had open heart surgery how many days before that? Ten days before that. Gene had been in church that morning. We went to visit him that afternoon. And we're sitting in his living room. And Gene is greater than 65 years of age. So we're in the living room. And Gene's wife is, shall I say, um, rebuking him. Cautioning him. Warning him. I, I think that's... Is there a word you'd rather I use? I think it's fine. Okay. And what is it about? Well, she's very concerned about the life of her husband. And she's very concerned that her husband is leaving his home where there's peace and quiet and rest as he recuperates. Is this a valid concern for a wife? Yes. And you know what Jean does? Jean begins to cry. And he says, I don't know how to stop doing what I've done my whole life, which is to worship with the people of God on Sunday morning. What Gene says is what this psalm says. He didn't say it, but it was very clear to his wife and to me and to Dave and the other people in the room, it was very clear that if Gene had a choice between dying and worshiping, And to worship meant he had to die, he would choose death. It's very clear. Am I right about that, Lois? It's absolutely clear. So here is a man who says, My flesh and my heart might fail, but God is my portion. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And aside from thee, there's nothing I desire. And that's what this psalm is about. It is a psalm, you see at the top, that says, For the choir director on the giddeth, a psalm of the sons of Korah. How lovely are your dwelling places. And it's subtitled in my Bible, Longing for the Temple Worship. It's a psalm of pilgrimage. How lovely are your dwelling places. Now, since so many of you are musicians, I want to note that the sons of Korah were the chief musicians. It was a position of respect. The psalmist, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, designates it the sons of Jody. All right? And have you noticed how he's been propagating sons up here? seems like every week we have more musicians. My, 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 my hope in Bloomington has always been that every musician in the congregation would bring their instrument and play up front. Now you say, well, we bring our voices. But wouldn't that be wonderful to have all our musicians up front using whatever instrument God has given them? The sons of Korah. And of course, sons in the church means both men and women, if you don't know that. All right. Now, what's this deal on the gittith? Well, it most likely means uh, on the wine press. It's something for Thanksgiving time, for harvest time. A time of great joy uh, on, on the Giddith. It's not an instrument, likely. How lovely are your dwelling places. The designation, or if you go down then believe, if you go on, O Lord of hosts, and you go down under verse 4, we see a word that occurs twice in this, which is the word selah. And there's been a lot of debate over what this means. Um, It could be a musical notation similar to our notation forte. Um, It could be an indication for the singers to stop for an instrumental interlude. Um, But the oldest Jewish sources uh, believed that this word actually meant forever. And so Jerome in the Latin Vulgate translated it semper. And that's... What I believe it means that it's the equivalent of saying forever or amen. And so that's the meaning of this word, uh, Selah. Now you can separate the psalm into four parts verses one to two, in which the psalmist speaks of his eager longing for God's house, verses three to four, where he sings of the happiness of those who live within God's house. 5 to 7, in which he sings of the joy of those who are on their way to God's house and to his temple. 8 and 9, where he pleads with God to listen to him and to bless him, as well as the King of Israel, God's anointed one. And then verses 10 to 12, in which the psalmist again sings of the tremendous blessing of living and worshiping and dwelling in God's house and of access to God. Verse 1 How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty! Now, this is the place that God lived among His people. When I first spoke of it, I mentioned a physical and a geographical location. The tabernacle, when it moved, the people of God moved. That was the center of their worship. That was the place that God told them to worship. Then the temple was built in Jerusalem. So many people make the mistake of saying that in the Old Testament, God is about land and flesh and physical things. In the New Testament, God is about spiritual things. And this simply isn't true. Uh, The the clearest indication of this are the sacraments, where we see that God continues to use physical things to uh, symbolize and to call out to us spiritually, spiritual realities. And it also isn't true that in the Old Testament, uh, when the sacraments were given and when temple worship, that that everything was, was concrete. Um, The Bible very clearly in Romans tells us that circumcision was a circumcision of the heart. It was a spiritual matter, not simply a physical matter. And the Bible is very clear in showing us in the New Testament that God is still pleased to use flesh. Now, I often remind you that the flesh of the pastor is one one of the clearest indications of this. God could have had you have entirely spiritual beings like angels do the preaching. But God chose to use jars of clay, men who are faulty and sinners and wicked, to preach to you. Well, the same is also true of buildings. It's not unspiritual to have a building today. And uh, I think that's something that we have to get over. We say, well, you know, those who worship God now worship Him in spirit and in truth, as if that means we can't worship Him physically. Many of you believe that, and that's why you don't ever lift your hands and you resent having to kneel. You know, you, you think that there's just really something unspiritual about being physical in worship. I remember when I came to another church in this community and I, I began to lead that church as senior pastor that uh, they would never stand at the beginning of worship. You know, worship would begin without a call to worship and just with some singing and it would sort of progress and the people didn't stand. And it was just incomprehensible to me that we would enter the presence of God and sit there. Does this make sense to you? You know, well, in point of fact, when I brought it up in a staff meeting, the music director said that uh, people really are more comfortable sitting. Now, that's a joke. You should have laughed. That is what he said, but it is funny. You should laugh. Imagine if the queen of England walked in this room and we just sort of slouched in our chairs. Now, you say, well, yes, but we're not really in the physical presence of God. And so it's really our hearts that matter. You know something? The hearts and the body are always intimately related. Do you know what I do as a discipline? As a discipline, when we pray, when I'm someplace where I'm praying, you know what I do? I don't know if any of you have ever noticed this, but I, don't, I, I need a chair Often we're sitting down when we begin praying, like at elders' meetings, right? I hope you can all see me. And I'm sitting down, and typically I sit like this. All right? Now, prayer begins in an elders' meeting. What do I do? What would you do? Is that how you'd pray? No. When you pray, you sit up straight and you bow your head, don't you? Why? Well, you all know why. You know because you're entering the throne room of heaven. And it's absolutely absurd to make this, this, this distinction of the Old Testament being about our bodies and land and the New Testament being about our spirits and the ethereal. You know, it's just bogus. The New Testament, bodies matter. Old Testament, spirits matter. Don't make that dichotomy. There's, there's some truth to it, but don't, don't think that way. Bring your bodies to worship. This whole thing is about pilgrimage. Pilgrimage involves what? Pilgrimage involves what? Walking. And there's something about walking to a place, driving to a place, that tunes your heart to where you're going, Right? You look at the map, your kids say, How much longer? You know, we should in worship be tuning our bodies to our God. And you know what? The person that helps me in this is Brandon Pickett. Because Brandon is actually an active participant in our worship. Brandon will say amen no matter what the prayer is. All right? Brandon is active. This is how we all ought to be. We ought to be on pilgrimage. We ought to be physically involved in our worship. That's one way of being on pilgrimage like the psalmist. And the psalmist says this, How lovely are Your dwelling places, O Lord of hosts! My soul longed and even yearned for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. The bird also has found a house and the swallow and nest for herself where she may lay her young. Even your alders, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Isn't that interesting, the bird? I remember back in Wisconsin, the, the, the church we served had a tall steeple. And sometimes you'd go out at night and you'd see literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of bats come out of that steeple. And they'd go through the air above our house and they'd begin to... to, to to eat the uh, mosquitoes, which we are very happy for. We like bats. We built an addition on that church, a Christian ed addition. And right as the addition was ending, there was a little lamp at the back entrance up the stairs. And as the addition was finished, a robin came and built a nest on that lamp right by the door entering it. And this is what it says. It says what? It says... The bird also has found a house and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young, even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Now today we must recognize that it is not simply the physical church, but it is our hearts and it is the place where the people of God gather that is the Lord's dwelling place. He dwells in the praises of His people. And so this must be a spiritual reality. And a very good indication of your faith is the degree to which you with Gene and others look forward with anticipation to the gathering of the people of God and to worship. I can't tell you how many times I come to worship on Sunday morning and it's been a hard week. Hard usually principally because of my own sin. And then I come Sunday morning and I remember the mercy of God. I remember His grace. I remember that He knows who I am, that I'm made of dust, that I'm flesh. And that He has chosen me and has given me a future and a hope. And I remember that I'm with a whole bunch of people. This is true of all of us. And we're all a messy lot and all of us have been called by him to worship him and then I'm strengthened you remember the you remember when um you remember the psalm where he says that he's been envying the rich and he's been looking at how profitable and sleek and fat and wealthy they are and he's been despairing over it. and then he says i almost i almost gave in to the despair i almost and then he said I came into the house of God and I remembered their end. And it's very interesting that he was kept from sinning. He was kept from undercutting the faith of others by coming into the house of God and there he was strengthened. And there he saw the true spiritual reality. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed can be translated happy. And it seems that this is likely uh, some reference to those who were, whose work kept them at the temple, the priests. But obviously, this has to do with those whose hearts live next to God's heart. Um, And this is where I want to explicitly quote, I've been making allusion to it earlier in the sermon, but I want to quote directly John Dunn's hymn to God My Father in My Sickness, where he says this, he says, Since I am coming to that holy room where with thy choir of saints forevermore I shall be made thy music. As I come, I tune the instrument here at the door. And what I must do then, think here before. Don't ever let any doctors or nurses or intensive care unit, don't ever let any pain, don't ever let the pride of those who are dying keep you from working to prepare their hearts to enter the presence of God. It's amazing the things that conspire to keep us from speaking of eternity to those who are dying. One of the most wicked things in this connection is the health and wealth gospel, which causes us to believe that we must never prepare ourselves for death because it would be an act of faithlessness in looking towards the future. So you believe that God will heal you. Any indication that He won't heal you is a lack of faith, and therefore you never prepare to die. Never. Because you're so busy having faith that God's going to heal you. And this is oppressive. And there are times where God makes it very clear that He is not going to heal you. And you'll know it, but sometimes you'll feel like you can't say it because your relatives will be scandalized if you say to them, I'm going to die. And this is something that an African pastor said in a group I was a part of over in uh, in Zambia where he asked his uh, his professor, how am I to deal in a situation where Uh, The patient is dying, and she can't admit this to her family members because they'll be angry at her and think that her death is her own fault. And so she has to ask them to leave the room in the hospital before she can talk to me about her soul. Well, we do need, with John Nunn, in times of sickness, to write such a hymn. Since I am coming to that holy room, where with thy choir of saints forevermore I shall be made thy music. As I come, I tune the instrument here at the door. And what I must do then, think here before. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. The Lord saw fit to heal John Donne after that particular sickness. But it always remained very, very much in his mind. Verse 5 Blessed are those whose strength is in you who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan in our burden because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. And I ask, have you set your heart on pilgrimage or are you putting down roots and tossing out anchors? Again, this is an issue that you have to be very careful of as Christians. Our culture is a youth worshiping culture. And to to speak of, let alone have movies of the things that older people do to try to remain young in, in our day and age is perverse. And of course, one of the side effects of this is, again, that you do not do the soul work you need to do in preparing for death, you are dying. The minute you were conceived, you began to die. And in our rich countries, we can prettify this. And we can remove the dying to clinical places that are all white where professionals seemingly are in control. (laughs) But it's all a lie. You're dying. Your children are dying. Some of your children will precede you in death. So what are you doing now in the full blush of youth or middle age? What are you doing to prepare for this death? It used to be that at funerals, Protestants, almost all of us said, in the midst of life, we live in death. And of whom are we to seek for relief? But of thou, O Lord, who for our sins art justly displeased. And this is a, a quote from Cranmer's prayer book. I love that statement. In the midst of life, we live in death. And of whom are we to seek for relief, O Lord, but from now who for our sins art justly displeased? This is who we are. You know, the minute you think your husband is not dying, he will sin against you. And then you will remember in the midst of life, we live in death. You know? The point of marriage is the point at which you begin to have infatuation become commitment. And it requires a vow, doesn't it? Now, not for you, Colin and Katie, right? All right. For all of us, marriage requires a vow. And when we take a vow, we become married. And we become the fruit of those vows. And that fruit is not produced without. Blood and sweat and tears. Well, we should set our hearts on pilgrimage. We should anticipate our death. We should uh, be in the house of mourning. It says in Ecclesiastes, it's better to be in the house of mourning than the house of partying. Because why? Because we learn things in the house of mourning. We'll never learn in the house of partying. verse 6, as they pass through the Valley of Baca, these people who have set their hearts on pilgrimage make even the Valley of Baca a place of springs. And the autumn rains also cover it with pools. The Valley of Baca was a place of great uh, dryness and uh, uh, barrenness. And so what it's saying is that when the people of God, on pilgrimage to heaven, when they go through even the most barren places, they bring the blessing of rain and water. <laughs> Michael and Ben are going to go to a valley of Baja. Very, very dangerous place in a nation that is in terrible uh, turmoil. One of the most violent nations in the world. And their own people will tell you this. When Marilyn and I have been traveling and have run into people from South Africa, that's what they tell us. We left because so many of our loved ones had been murdered. When Michael and Ben go there, we send them believing that the place they go bringing the Lord Jesus will be a place of rains and pools of water and springs. When I was in Wisconsin, I had uh, a woman in my church named Connie Pease whose mother all of a sudden had lived next door to her in her house. All of a sudden had a stroke and was uh, incapacitated and had to go in the county nursing home. And there, the county nursing homes are the homes you want to be in. But they're still dreary and abysmal places. And when I went to visit Frida, uh, her daughter, Connie, was there constantly, constantly visiting her mother. Well, a lot of people go to a nursing home and visit their relatives, but the thing that was beautiful about Connie is that she'd go up and down the halls. She'd stop, she'd know the name of every person in the hall, and she was springs of water in the valley of Baca. So God blessed the entire nursing home by having her mother have a stroke. And it was a sad day for the nursing home when her mother finally died. Because Connie kept going, but not as frequently. And so the springs weren't as as, as, as abundant. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion and Proverbs 4.18, it says, the path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn shining ever brighter until the full light of day, from strength to strength. You may not feel that you're going from strength to strength. You may feel you're going from strength to weakness. But remember, God uses difficult things in our life to make us stronger. And I remember last night reading this letter of my father. Him talking about how much strength and joy had been brought into their home by their son getting leukemia. Those of you who have lost little ones and who have had faith as you went through that know how God has used that. And even the death of loved ones causes you to grow stronger. Or (laughs) particularly the death of your loved ones causes your strength to grow stronger. Hear my prayer, O Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, O God of Jacob, Selah. Look upon our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. This would be calling down God's blessing on the king. Uh, it's a natural for people to be identified with their, the leader of their nation. And then this verse that is so uh, popular uh, because of the song, but this is where it comes from. Verse 10 For a day in your courts is better than a thousand outside, the outside being supplied. Um, So what do you want? You want to know Michael Jordan. You want to meet Thierry Henry. Uh, No, you don't. Um, What is your goal? Is your goal to be intimate with and in fellowship with the people of God as they gather to be in the courts of the Lord. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, how blessed is the man who trusts in You. One final application. The principal place... That this goes on for us is not in our quiet time in the closet at home. But it goes on for us when the people of God assemble. The church is the dwelling place of God. The bride of Christ is who Christ died to save. The bride of Christ is not you. You're a part of it, but the bride of Christ is the church. And so all this individualistic infatuation that we have today where we try to find churches that are so large that we can just be an individual and never have to look at the corporate group. All the desire that we have today to find a church that does precisely what we in our prejudices and selfishness want that church to do, whether it's in a building program, whether it's in the kind of music that's sung, whether it's in who is and is not an elder, all this stuff is a violation of a heart that's set on pilgrimage and that looks with anticipation each Lord's Day to gathering with the other believers, melding the hearts together in, worshiping, in worship and giving glory to God. And there will be an infinite variety of things that you'll find in your life that cause you to be alienated from the church. You know, the church did not see my grief and love me in my time of grief. The church uses too many small words. The church uses too many large words. The church hasn't given me what I want. All of these things are completely destructive when they take over our hearts of us being on pilgrimage and being able to pray this psalm. And it's always been Satan's habit to divide the church over penny-ante things. Now, there are times you have to divide. The Reformation had to divide. There are churches which refuse to live according to Scripture. Those aren't true churches. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about where you're a part of a church that is a true church. And where you have all these little penny-anny things, these petty prejudices, these dislikes for people. You know, Can't they ever get to small group on time? You know, Do they always have to have taco salad? Now, I'm using them because you can laugh, but there are things that are a little more serious than that. And they can cause us to despise the church. You cannot live this psalm and despise the assembly of the people of God. The principal application of this psalm in your life, if you live this psalm, will be that you anticipate assembling with the people of God and worshiping Him. Now, how can you do it? You pray and you ask the Holy Spirit To put in your heart the spirit of pilgrimage and to love the church of Jesus Christ. It's a choice. It's not something that just sort of comes on you supernaturally. It is a gift though of the Holy Spirit and He will give it to you if you ask Him. So ask Him to give you love for the church. Let's pray.